0: Hi, I'm Alan Altman and I'm Dave Juskow and this is Billy Joel A to Z.
1: and welcome to and so it goes the song we'll be talking about today on billy joel a to z and so it goes is the final track on billy joel's 11th studio album entitled stormfront released october 17th 1989 and so it goes was released as the sixth single from the album on october of 1990 The single peaked at number 37 on December 8th, 1990, after eight weeks on the pop charts. It did, however, reach number five on the U.S. Adult Contemporary Chart. Out of his rankings, Christopher Bonanos' 2015 Vulture article out of 121 songs. Elon, where do you think our friend Christopher puts, and so it goes?
0: I think this is the kind of song that Christopher Bonanos really likes. From Billy Joel. So I'm going to guess he had this pretty high. So I'm going to say 25.
1: I can see where you're going with that after the debacle of which was uh, an innocent man, which is number five. <laughs> but no, this is a, a normal one. Um, I don't think I'd have it actually this high. I don't. He has it at 62. So you were way off. Not your fault. Uh, because you were guessing, well, if he has an innocent man high and he has... What was the other one that, uh, the all, all My Life? All My Life, uh, number 12 or
0: 13.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, the Newsday article by Glenn Gamboa has it at 37 out of 124. That's high. And the fan rankings have it at 27. What would you put it at, Elon? I'm more like
0: you or even Christopher here. I think this is a middle-of-the-road kind of song. And I, my view of it was skewed because I know that Billy Joel loves this song. And I just figured, well, if Billy thinks this is one of his best songs ever, then maybe everyone else thinks the same thing too. But the more I listened to it, I couldn't really feel that it was one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, and that's an excellent point. You're right. He does love it. I've heard him on Howard Stern talking about this. Like when he mentions his top three, this might be in it. But that, of course, makes a lot of sense because it's a very personal song. And you know, as we're getting into this when you do see him play it, there's a video and it's just him on the piano and that is, when you're talking about the piano man, ironically rare for Billy to just sit at the piano at Madison Square Garden or something and just play the piano with no other instruments, even though on the recording itself on Stormfront there's a couple of other instruments, just a couple so that would of course lead us to believe it is a very personal song, as we know it clearly must be for him, but yeah It's not a – I don't think it's a fan favorite, although his lyrics might say it's the opposite. He's a very uplifting songwriting guy, and these aren't the kind of songs that I like as much.
0: Yeah, and I think Billy was probably disappointed because he told Howard Stern this was his most underappreciated song. And on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, he named this his fourth favorite song. And I think he did hope that it would be a bigger fan favorite because if you look at the – official music video, which is from a live performance. At the end of it, all of the fans in the crowd are singing along with him, and it's like a really beautiful moment, and he probably felt like this should be happening at all of his concerts, but then that didn't happen.
1: Yeah, I saw that, too. I couldn't believe they were singing along with it, and it really, that video moves you in that sense because I don't think I would know the words that well when it had first come out, assuming that video is from the Stormfront Error performance... Right, because it's like
0: it's the official music video, so it must have come out right then. So, how did this crowd know the song that well, or was
1: that all fake? I just feel like it. Maybe I know it's the official music video, but I wonder if that video came out years later. I feel like there was a couple of videos he ended up redoing that were official music videos years later for some of his songs. And remember this period of time after he stopped making songs, that he had these new videos that were, you know, quote, official. And I wonder if that was one of them.
0: That's a good point. That's probably what it is, that it was after the fact. And these were the super fans in the front or in the middle who would sing along to a song like this. It kind of reminded me, um, if you've ever seen Queen in concert or heard any of their live stuff, when they play the song Love of My Life, which is also a slow ballad, the whole huge crowd will sing along with them. And even though it's not the greatest song, it's really like an amazing thing to see this communal thing happening. And I think Billy wanted that to happen with this song. And instead, it's more of like the, oh, when's he going to get back to the hits
1: now? I can't believe they released it as a single. That was surprising to me at all. You know, I mean, off uh, that Stormfront, which as Christopher Bonanno says, this is his, his writing of the song, a better song on Joel's weakest album maybe because the sentiment isn't very complicated, kind of a shrug in the end, but a pretty one, which uh, he's right. This is a week out. The second side to this album, which this exists on as the last track, isn't my favorite Billy Joel stuff.
0: Yeah, same. I don't listen to Stormfront normally, and um, if you think this is one of the stronger songs on it, and I've seen reviews from the time that also say this is a sign of Billy maturing and it's such a wonderful song, then you realize he wrote it six years earlier, And so it's not really that he matured in 1989. He wrote it back in 83 and then just didn't use it until now. So maybe that's why it was strong, because it wasn't part of his process in 1989. He just found something old that he really liked and for some reason didn't use until now.
1: Well, I can tell you exactly why he put it on, because he was clearly getting lazy. He's like, you know what? I think I'll do one more album. Let's just take something from 83. I don't know. You know, (laughs) because you're you're always going to wonder why the River of Dreams was the last album. And it just seems like if he was just, yeah, we'll use that one from 83. Now, of course, I have a theory, and I cannot find it anywhere online. And we have our friend Danny Vermonton, who is a writer for uh, Real Time with Bill Maher for many years, who was one of the hugest Billy Joel fans I know. I'm positive he is the one that told me that Billy Joel always makes his last song in case he dies or it's his last album. The one which makes sense that And So It Goes would be the last song on this album, in case something happened to him, like he, and certainly he should be aware of that he was in multiple motorcycle ac- accidents. This guy doesn't <laughs> seem to know how to drive, and so and so it goes as a perfect ending song to end his career, I guess. And that's what somebody had told me that that's what he does on a lot of the albums, you know, after maybe Glass Houses. But and this certainly fits the description of the final song he would go out with if he didn't make another album after this. This song, you're right, it feels like a coda to a career. It's just
0: all stripped away, no more gimmicks, no bells and whistles, it's just here's Billy and a piano singing a sad song.
1: Yeah, and maybe that's the reason why he grabbed it from an earlier recording and saying, well, this is a good final song for me. Meanwhile, as we know, the song is written about his breakup with L McPherson. There's no way if I broke up with L McPherson, a teenage L McPherson, that I would say, and so it goes. I would be <laughs> devastated. This would be more all for Lena for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: You'd be locked in your room for a month.
1: Yes. I'd be crying like a baby. On the flip side of that, of course, after, after he left L McPherson, he started dating Christy Brinkley. So then you would write, eh, and so it goes. Yeah. In his life, it's like uh, like Seinfeld. He closes the door one week, and then another one. It's like uh, you know somebody else. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I was thinking also that Seinfeld, where he it's even Stevens. Whenever he like he lost twenty dollars and he found twenty dollars, so you lose Mel McPherson, you find Christy Brinkley.
1: Yeah, that is definitely Billy Joel in nineteen eighty three. What's interesting also about this song is that it is not. In the saddest of all keys, which, of course, is D minor, (laughs) as you may or may not know from Spinal Tap. You do know or you don't I knew
0: that. If you had asked me that question, what is the saddest of all keys, I would have said D minor, probably because I remember that from Spinal Tap.
1: Right. From Spinal Tap, he says, the saddest of all keys. Of course, Billie Eilish writes a lot of songs in D minor, (laughs) so it all makes sense. But this song is ironically in C major, which uh, is just the most uh, obvious of all keys, although... Imagine by John Lennon is written in C major. But on the flip side of that, so is Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. So, you know, it's difficult to say. <laughs> <laughs> of all those three songs,
0: which one is the best? I think it's uh, it's totally a toss-up. My theory about why he held this song back after writing it in 1983 about Elle McPherson is that, well, number one, in 83, he put out An Innocent Man. This song didn't fit with the style of that. So at that time, he would have definitely held it back. But then in 86, for The Bridge, he didn't release this song either. And I think at that point, he had just married Christy Brinkley in 85. And I think putting a song on an album about your ex-girlfriend probably wasn't the best idea at that time, because it was probably still a little bit of a sore subject. Because, you know, look, Christy Brinkley is 10 years older than Elle McPherson. There probably was a little bit of a competition and wondering who he liked better kind of thing back in 83. And so maybe by 89, the marriage was already set in. He already had um, Alexa Ray. Maybe th- at this point he said, you know what? I could finally use this song.
1: Yeah, and from what I've heard about Uptown Girl, which we all assumed was about Christy Brinkley, apparently it's been said it's about Elle McPherson. So right, Having, putting another song about El McPherson on his next album would be a mistake.
0: Right. He's written a bunch of his good songs about El McPherson that you assume were about um, Christy Brinkley. And right. Christy Brinkley gets like Christy Lee, which is yeah, not a great
1: song. <laughs> no, it's, it's not really, really classic. No, it's not. Um, do you, I mean, Do you know how many covers I saw of this song? People love covering this song. Other people like it. Okay, so for Billy Joel fans, I guess it's not our favorite. But yeah, some people love it. 20, I saw about 24 covers. I counted very quickly about 24 different people covering this song, right. including people who play bagpipes. And a lot of school choirs. This is a big choir song. Yeah, I've noticed that. Very odd. Very odd. Very odd if you're going to choose something out of the Billy Joel collection to choose, you know, to be a, a high school music teacher and say, let's go with And it. So It Goes.
0: Yeah, it's a real hipster kind of thing to like not pick one of the hits, but be like, I really like Billy, so I'm going to go with this deep cut that I know is one of his faves. So And So It Goes is the 47th most played song live for Billy Joel. He's played it 74 times, and most of those times have been in the last five years. It really was not a part of his set list, but starting around 2015, he started putting it in to a lot of his shows.
1: Well, what you're saying is once he got to those Madison Square Garden shows, he started playing them again, clearly is the answer to that question i guess there must have been something where you know he was in a place where he's like first i mean as we know with those garden shows he still can't even believe it's a thing remember he's always said i'll just play until people stop coming and i think he's so overwhelmed with joy that everybody still loves his music about something a guy who hasn't put out an album in 30 years i think uh, that's the reason he plays it he's like let's Let me give them my favorite songs. I'm not, you know, I'm playing Yes for the audience. I'm always going to like my fans, but I'm going to play my favorites, too, because these are my top five.
0: Right. It's totally like, look, I'm going to give you the hits, but this is also for me, and it's a beautiful thing that I get to do this for you guys every month, and I'm going to throw in my favorite song or one of my favorite songs. And also, since it's basically just him on the piano, it gives the band a break for three minutes, which is probably nice for them.
1: Yeah, and it is fascinating to you know i didn't even realize when i reheard it that it was again when you see that performance because again the track has one or two more instruments but very light you wouldn't notice but yeah it's just him on the piano and i do enjoy that about the song that it's all broken down to just him and a piano the piano man playing a nice little ballad how appropriate
0: Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the
1: show. Do you have a stumper for me? I don't know whether it's a stumper, but it's made, it's tailor-made for you being a stupid New York Yankees fan. (laughs) I know you know what I'm about to say, I think, that Bernie Williams, the great Bernie Williams, who is still, if if I don't care for the Yankees, I love Bernie Williams. I'm always going to love Bernie Williams. I like a lot of the 90s players. I mean, nobody doesn't like Derek Jeter and uh well some people don't the, like Derek Jeter the Red Sox right if you're a Red Sox right but I mean I always you know he let's face it he's he's a really good baseball player you know, I don't like Tom Brady but let's face it I mean guy's unbelievable but Bernie Williams was always the best Paul O'Neill and uh, you know those 90s guys Bernie Williams is an amazing guitar player and he covered this song and you knew that right I did not know that really Oh, so that could have. Damn it, that should have. That been could the have been the present. question. <laughs> <laughs> so, on it, after he did this song on what this album in 2005, where he co- he's a jazz uh, guitarist, he covered this song, you know, and so it goes. On his next album, he hilariously covered "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," <laughs> which legendary Yankees star did this song feature, and it is not Megan the Stallion. So another
0: Yankee player was featured on... I
1: didn't say player. I said Yankee legend. Okay.
0: Another Yankee legend was featured on Bernie Williams' version of And So It Goes.
1: No, no. Take Me Out to the ball game. <laughs> okay. On the next album.
0: Okay. So a, a non-player, Yankee legend, sang with Bernie Williams on Take Me Out to the Ball Game."
1: I didn't say he sung. I said he was featured, as the kids say. Okay. <laughs>
0: um... Is it Rudy Giuliani?
1: No, that's a pretty good guess, though. No. Do you want to take one more guess? Is it someone musical? I didn't say that. Maybe it's a Besides, broadcaster. Besides, even if I did say that, what would, how would that be an answer? Is it a broadcaster?
0: Yes. Kind of. Oh, okay. So maybe it was, um, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the public address announcer for many, many years. And now I'm drawing that's a correct. blank...
1: Even though that's I know bad. him very well. Living legend. Well, he's dead now. Yes. Bob Shepard. Bob Shepard. Oh, yes. I feel bad. You got it. I didn't... You, you knew who it was, but right, you didn't have the name. So technically it's a wrong answer. Yeah, don't give me
0: credit because... for that. As a Yankee fan, I, to, for me not to remember his name in the moment is really... That humorful. is the
1: way, that's why you get the wrong buzzer. Because you are a Yankee fan and you should know better.
0: You know, Derek Jeter still used the recording of him bringing him up to the plate even after he died.
1: I do know that. A lot of players do. And he also coming did the, the
0: public address for the Giants games.
1: Coming to the plate, Derek Jeter. <laughs> I
0: like how it's he awful. would say Tiki Barber's name. Tiki Baba.
1: <laughs> do you have one for me?
0: I do. So you mentioned earlier there are a lot of covers of this song, and one of the covers was actually on the show American Idol. In its seventh or eighth season, the contestant David Archuleta sang this song in the top three. Because it was chosen for him by one of the judges. Which judge chose this song for David Archuleta to sing?
1: I watched that entire season. That was one I watched because I believe the winner was David Cook. That's right. And it was between David Cook and David Archuleta, who was like a child. And let's see, the judges were, I think it was still Simon, uh, the uh, the bass player guy. Randy Jackson. Right, Randy Jackson from the Jackson 5. Well, a like, different Randy Jackson.
0: But <laughs> yeah, I know, but
1: I like saying it from Trading Places. And uh, who's the girl? Oh, Paul Abdul. Yeah. I'm going to say it was Randy Jackson. Wrong.
0: Damn. Simon? That would have been my guess that Simon would like to that. It was kind of
1: Paula song, it Abdul? Was Paula Abdul. Really? Where would she get that? And where would she come up with that? I mean,. Actually, I was going to say no offense to Paul Abdul, but yeah, offense to Paul Abdul. Where is she coming up with a deep Billy Joel cut?
0: She said she thought that David Archuleta would have a really great timbre to his voice and this song would really be in his wheelhouse.
1: Well, she's an idiot because he lost.
0: What's funny is that he was 17 when he did this, so singing about a 19-year-old Elle McPherson was an older woman.
1: Wow. (laughs) That's unbelievable. That guy did an amazing song. What got him to the finals, he did a, a version of Imagine. Also in the key of C major, interestingly. And that's what kind of got him the files. But that David Cook, uh, that was, he was a very strange choice, but he was never in the bottom three that whole season. And, of course, as we could look at that or The Voice, nobody remembers anyone. Well, so I think it wasn't no third place cares.
0: Catherine McPhee, and she's got a career for herself.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You, no, Catherine McPhee. Oh, that se- No. That season? I don't think she was on that season. But maybe she was, but no. There are plenty of people that haven't won that have done okay, like Jennifer Hudson or Chris Dolce. She, didn't Daltry, win. she lost and did okay. That's what well, that's what I said. They haven't won and did okay, but um, oh. yeah, I feel like that was the season with Taylor Hicks. Catherine and Taylor, the winner of American Idol season five, is. Nobody's heard of again.
0: She was runner up to Taylor Hicks, right?
1: That's what I just said. <laughs> what where am what am I not making clear? Look, I'm trying to explain to you yeah, that I right. knew season everything five, about five. American Idol up until season nine
0: and then I gave up. I watched I watched Catherine McPhee on the show Smash on NBC. NBC.
1: I watched Catherine McPhee on Oh damn, what's that CBS show uh where they're all smart and intelligent and they Young crimes. Sheldon. No, not Young Sheldon, no, it's a bunch of young Sheldons. And Paige? Well, Paige isn't like us. She's normal
0: and translates the world for us while we help her understand her genius son. Together, we
1: are Scorpion. And they solve crimes. I watched it for a long time. I like her, and she married a guy even older than me. There is still hope,
0: Dave. There is still (laughs) hope.
1: (laughs) She married David Foster, a legendary songwriter.
0: So our good friend Weird Al Yankovic did a pretty good parody of and so it goes
1: well this one makes sense i mean a lot of people have been doing covers of it
0: right and he's no different his parody is called anchovy rolls oh boy you know the food item those anchovy no, rolls. i'm not familiar with it <laughs> what a food item this is just
1: like you may be right
0: <laughs> i'll sing you a little bit please and all the restaurants are closed and my cupboard is wiped clean Anchovy rolls are really gross, but all I have to eat at home.
1: Hey now, that was, the ending was awful. I mean, you were right there, and then the ending was all I have to eat at home. I mean, that just weren't we just talking about that with the song we did last week? That nothing rhymed. Oh
0: <laughs> was, yeah, well I rhymed home with gross and close they have the the O sound so I thought it still kind of works
1: okay alright whatever if you want to go there and end the podcast on that then that's fine with me if you want (laughs) nobody to come back next week
0: we'll send a letter Uh, to Weird Al and say we should have found a better rhyme there (laughs) well folks that was And So It Goes if you like our podcast be sure to leave us a nice review we release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Is this a top five Billy Joel song or is Billy wrong? Do you think Christy Brinkley is the reason it went unreleased for six years? Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z.